So we're going to wrap up this series this week on the art of neighboring. And uh, this, is a, this has been a series I was telling the team before while we were praying before service that uh, this series has been like super challenging for me uh, as well because like I literally want to take Jesus commands at face value. I want to take them seriously. I want to do what Jesus says. And so, you know, we can't do what our culture is doing. We can't just pull into the driveway, lift up the garage door, pull the car in, close the garage door, and then get in our own little home fortress, and that would be it. Like, we got to engage our neighborhoods. We got to engage people around us. And so that's what this series has been about, is the art of neighboring. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, that if we love him, we should keep his commandments. Followers of Jesus don't obey we talked about this last week to gain his favor somehow if you know like i do the right things and i'll get a relationship with god that's not why we obey jesus already did everything that's required for you and i to be in right relationship with god so we don't have to obey to get favor jesus already gave you favor we don't obey to get the relationship we obey because of the relationship with Christ. And so when we're looking at his commands, we see that Jesus tells us to do some things. And it's not because he's trying to tell us, you know, hey, do this for me to like you. He's, do, he's telling you, you know, hey, if you love me, if you really love me, if you really love this relationship, then do these things. So today, just like in Jesus' time, people are wondering, what are those things? What are those things that we should be focused on? What's the main Thing. And we've, our kind of passage that we've looked at in this series to kind of anchor us has been in Matthew chapter 22 when a guy asked teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. For the past couple of weeks, we've been in this series called The Art of Neighboring, where we're focusing on what this second part or the second half of this commandment is, to love our neighbors. But what does that look like? Is that me just being a nice person in general? Is that me, like we talked about, holding the door open at Circle K? Or is it more than that? Is, is, is it, if I'm going to take the commandment to love my neighbor seriously and literally, what does that look like? Is there anything in my behavior that needs to change? Is there anything in my heart that needs to change if I'm going to take this commandment seriously? Last week, we talked about how Christianity is not performance-based like so many other religions. Instead, it's relationship-based. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's John three sixteen. This is all about God wanting relationship with you and I, and we respond to that in love. In the first week of the series, we were talking about what we, what we do to get started. Like, how do we start loving our neighbors well? And we talked about learning our, the neighbors' names. How many of you guys have done the work and you've learned your neighbors' names, right? Good. How many of you guys are still working on that, right? How many of you guys know the name of your neighbor across the street, right? On cue, man, every time. How many of you guys know the name of your neighbor across the street, right? How many of you guys know the name of your neighbor beside you? on the other side, behind you, right? So it's really hard to love, love an acquaintance. Like we have to get to know them. We have to be a part of their lives. We have to, to know them. And so that's what we did. We said, hey, let's just take the first step. Let's get to know our neighbors. Last week, we talked about how love is the ultimate goal. And I shared with you guys a quote by a, a guy, an author named Bob Goff. And he said, we don't need to try to control the work that God is doing in other people's lives. Instead, we just need to love well and trust that God will do the rest. So what do we need 
in our own lives, and this is going to be what this whole message today is about, what do we need to love well? Today we're going to wrap up this series by unpacking this question, what do we need to love well? I believe that there are three simple things that each of us need to have to love well, and that's what we're going to talk about today. For some of us, loving others comes easy. You're naturally open. You're naturally giving. You're naturally looking to help. You're naturally extroverted. You're naturally full of energy. You naturally identify the, the needs of other people, and you meet those needs. How many of you guys are like that? Like, that's just your natural state. Is I, just, I just love to serve. I love to, to help people. That's like a personality gift that some people have. For some of us, uh, we're, we're the introverts in the room. How many of you guys are the introverts in the room? I'm going to make you raise your hand in a room saying that you're an introvert, right? I'm an introvert, right? <laughs> so some of us are the introverts in the room, and, and you're resenting me for calling you out just now. Um, and you also resent the 90 seconds where we make people talk to each other. You know, they do that in church too. But uh, so that's, that's just part of it. Sociologist Adam Grant says that, that people generally fall into three categories. They're givers, they're takers, and then they're matchers. So they're givers, so that's someone who's just naturally giving. Like, I want to help, I want to support, I want to come alongside, I want to meet the needs of other people. And then there are takers. There are people who, hey, I need you to help me do this. I need you to help me. I need you to do this and, 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 and help me out do this. And then what most people are, Grant said, is they're matchers. Meaning that if you're giving to me, then I'll give to you. If you want to take from me, then I'll try to take from you. You know, so like there's this match, like this, this matching thing that happens the whole time. But Grant says something that's interesting. He says this, that there's one of these groups is actually the hardest, has the hardest heart and is the toughest to change. Which do you think that is? Givers, takers, and matchers. Originally, when Grant was talking, I was like, oh man, it's the takers all day long. All day long. Takers, they, those people, like they, they're the ones with the hardest hearts and they're the ones that, that are the most difficult to get through. But Grant actually says that it's the givers who have been hurt, abused, taken advantage of, manipulated. And all, when they shut it off, they willfully become takers. And those people have the hardest hearts and they're the toughest to change. Once you were a giver, and now you had to shut it off and you became a taker. And so we see these givers and takers and matchers. We see introverts and extroverts. And compounding all this, when we're talking about having good relationships and loving our neighbors, we have difficult people that we have to deal with. We have difficult people, you know, the ones that cut you off in traffic, right? They cut you off in traffic and then they, they like flip you off. Like, what did I do? You know, I didn't do anything. You're the one that's driving like a crazy person. The ones who don't vote like you. Or the worst, in my opinion, the absolute worst, are people who do this at the grocery store. You got the photo there? That, that guy, that guy. Hard to love. Hard to love that guy, right? And so we have these hard to love people, but Jesus didn't say, hey, based on your personality, you can, you can get away with not loving or you can love or you don't have to love. Based on the people that you come in contact with, based on the fact that if you're dealing with a, a taker or you're dealing with a master, based on the fact that you're dealing with somebody that's really, really hard to get along with, the guy that double parks at the grocery store, whatever we do, like Jesus didn't give us like a, uh, an out clause in this loving your neighbor. He just says that we have to love our neighbors. In telling us to love our neighbors, Jesus didn't just say that we could love the lovable. 
our most neighborly of neighbors. In fact, he actually doubles down and tells us that we have to love our enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, then what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. With this in mind, again, the question today is what do we need to love well? Regardless if loving is easy for you or not natural at all, I believe that loving God's way is not something that we can fully do in the natural. This is a spiritual gift. This is something that we, have, we get by following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, it tells us that when we're submitted to the Spirit and we're led by the Spirit, then we see fruits of the Spirit in our lives. These fruits are evidences of the Spirit's leadership. They're evidences of the Spirit being at work in your life. Just like you would see an orange from an orange tree or an apple from an apple tree, if you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to see these fruits in your life. If you're not being led by the Spirit, you're not going to see these fruits. And so what are the fruits? Galatians 5 verse 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The next time that you come in contact with someone who is unlovable, The next time you come in contact with someone who cuts you off or who backstabs you at work, the next time someone is unkind to you or things don't go your way, ask yourself, what would patience do here? What would joy, how would joy or peace respond? Could I bring goodness or gentleness into this situation? Is self-control even possible here? Because I believe that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, the Spirit is with us because the Bible talks about how when we submit to Christ, when we accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior, the Spirit is living inside of us now. We can follow His leadership. And so not only when you come to church can you feel God's presence, but you can feel God's presence wherever you go. Even in the most difficult times, even among the most difficult people, you can feel God's presence in the situation if you're being led by the Spirit. I believe that we cannot will ourselves into the kind of love that we're talking about. You can't just on the strength of your will say, you know what, I'm going to love the unlovable. I'm going to love people who backstab me. I'm going to love people who talk bad about me. I'm going to love people who, who, who are really, really hard to deal with. I'm going to get out of my shell, my introverted shell, and love people like Jesus called me to love me. No, you can't will yourself to do that. Again, we talked about how Christianity is not performance-based. We can't fix ourselves. Like We have to have Jesus do the work for us. And because of that, this kind of love that we're talking about only comes by the Spirit. Some people who identify as Christians, listen to this, some people who identify as 
Christians only do so because the culture of Christianity is the religion that closest, closest aligns to their natural will or worldview. Think about that. Some people only claim to be Christian. They only, they only come to church. They only do the Christian thing. They only, read the, they only look at the Bible. They only listen to messages. They only listen to Christian music because that's what naturally aligns with how their will is already set. But we can't live like that. We need to be fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus. We need to be under the leadership of the Spirit. And when we get squeezed, then what's going to happen is that we're going to know if we're following Jesus, following the leadership of the Spirit, or if we're doing things by our own will. We can't choose the path of least resistance because of how we think or how we were raised. No, we have to say, God, I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to let you direct me in whatever situation I find myself in. Is that saying that I, if I don't always have the fruits of the Spirit, if those fruits are not always evident in my life, then we're not a Christian? No, I'm not saying that because we all mess up. The Spirit's perfect. We're not perfect, right? All right, you got grace there. You've got grace there. You're okay there. But but what I am saying is that 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 if if there's relationships or there's an issue or there's a circumstance where the fruits are not consistently evident in my life, then I have found a portion of my life that's not fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. If I don't like how I responded to my kids in a situation, if I don't like how, uh, that, that, how I acted in that, that, that discussion at work, if I don't like how I, how I re- talked to my spouse you know, when I was angry, if I don't like that, then what I can say is there's probably a portion of in me, some insecurity or something inside of me where I don't have that area of my life fully submitted to the Spirit, right? It's, bi- it's not binary. It's not like an on and off switch. Like, oh, you messed up. You sinned. You're no longer in the family. That's not how God works, right? We have grace. But there are parts of us that, that we just need to submit more to God. We need to say, God, I, I, I want you, to, I want you to, to help me here. So what are we going to do with this information? What are we going to do when we find ourselves in a situation where we, we didn't act like Jesus would have acted? We didn't follow the command to love. We didn't have the fruits of the Spirit evident in our life. Do we dig in and say, well, this is just who I am. My daddy has a temper. His daddy has a temper. His daddy has a temper and his daddy had a temper. That's just who we are. That's who I am. You got to deal with it. Do we say that, well, the the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram told me that I can act this way and there's no way around it. That's just what I do. This is my personality. Do we do that or do we do the work? Do we stop and say, Holy Spirit, I don't like how I responded to that situation. Thank you for this conviction. Please lead me into something different. Please lead me into something different. I don't like my temper. I don't like my attitude. I don't like this division that's in my heart. I don't like, and and then we take that to God and we say, God, lead me into something different. We need the Holy Spirit's leadership for us to love well. So three things we talked about. What's the three things we need to love well? Number one is humility. The number one thing that you need to love well is humility. Pride or demanding that things are done your way will not allow the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. 
pride or demanding things that are done your way will not allow the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. I knew a guy one time that had a sign in his office and it said this. It said, I could agree with you, but we'd both be wrong, right? Like that's what the sign in his office said. Pride or demanding things that are done your way will not allow the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. James 4 verse 6 and 7 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility, C.S. Lewis says this. He wrote a lot more cool stuff than just the books of Narnia. C.S. Lewis says this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The humble person does not cower away from the unlovable thinking that they have nothing to offer them. On the contrary, the humble person knows that the unlovable needs them because the humble person knows that they are at their best when there's less of them and more of him. We know that, that when we're humble. And so it's not this arrogance of, I really, I really know that I can bring benefit into this situation that I'm walking into at work or I'm walking into in my family or I can really bring, bring benefit to this relationship. It's not that I can do anything. No, because I've humbled myself. I've, I've humbled myself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, what happens is, is when I step into a conflict or I step into a disagreement or I step into a situation that's difficult, I'm not not just bringing the best of me. No, the best of me is not good enough. It's not going to get us there, but I'm bringing the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm inviting almighty God into that situation. And that's when we know good things happen. Humility is required for us to love well. The humble person isn't interested in how the situation could benefit them or even how they would respond in and of themselves. They simply invite the Spirit's presence and ask for his leadership. The humble person says, I don't want to show them me. I want to show them Jesus. I don't want to show them me. I want to show them Jesus. It's not about me. What do we need to love well? We need to be humility. Number two, what do we need to love well? We need compassion. Compassion. Once we allow God to transform us, once we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we begin to see people as Jesus sees them. How does Jesus see people? Does he see them as difficult? Does he see them as an annoyance? Does he see them as getting in the way of what need, the, what, the things that he needs to get done? No, it's not, it's not that at all. In Matthew chapter 9, it talks about how Jesus saw the crowds of people that followed him. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he said to, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus sees people as harassed and helpless, as sheep without a shepherd. A sheep, if left alone, left to his own devices, will die very, very quickly in the wild. Very, very quickly. So many predators, the things slower than everything else, the things not as smart as everything else. And so for you and I, when we're dealing with our insecurities and we're like, well, man, I'm not good enough. Well, Jesus calls us sheep, 
right? We need a shepherd. We need someone to guide us and direct us and, and to keep us safe. And Jesus saw people that were away from him, that were away from God as sheep without a shepherd, as harassed and helpless. And then he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people out there that need my love, that need my grace, that need my peace, that need my mercy. They're out there and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers so that we can collect the harvest. We need compassion. So what are the three things? We need humility, we need compassion, and the third thing we need is courage. Anything that is worth anything takes courage. You've got to show up and keep showing up. And the author Brene Brown says this, the courage to be vulnerable is not about winning or losing. It's the courage to show up when you can't predict or control the outcome. When you can't control how that person is going to respond to you or how they're going to act to you or how they're going to be with you or maybe they're going to be ugly to you. Maybe they're going to be combative with you. Maybe you, you can't, you just don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to reject you. Maybe you're going you're gonna, to you know, put yourself out there and maybe you're going to want to love them and try to build a relationship with them and they're going to reject reject you, whatever it is, the courage that we have is not about if they accept you or if they reject you. If you come out on the winning side or you come out on the losing side, the courage is simply just to show up. It's to keep trying, to keep putting, your, putting uh, yourself out there, to be, keep, keep stepping into that fray because you know that I've already done the work of submitting myself to God. I've already done the work to say, I don't want to show them me. I want to show them you, God. I want to show them your spirit. I want to see, see the world like Jesus sees them. I want to see the world as people who are sheep, with, uh, sheep without a shepherd, as people who are harassed and helpless. But now I've got to do something with that. I've got to step into the fray. I've got, to, I've got to step into that with courage. But here's the thing. Courage to the Christian is not necessarily courage like we would think. Courage to the Christian is really faith. Because if I'm under the leadership of God and I step out and I, I show compassion to someone who needs compassion or I show love to someone who needs love, then guess what? I'm not stepping out on my own skills and my own abilities and my own ability to show up. Guess what? I'm stepping out on the, under faith that God is going to be there. God is going to be in the situation. God's presence is going to be with me where, when I step into that situation. And so courage is not just courage in the fact of like, hey, we're going to take a last stand here. We're going to tie off and hope we can make it to the end. No, courage to the Christian is saying that, hey, I believe that God's going to show up here. I believe that God is going to show up here. I'm not, we're not confident in our own strengths or our own talents or our own speaking ability or our own loving ability. We're confident in him. We're confident that in the worst battle, he'll be right there with us. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. This is right as the children of Israel, they, they'd already left uh, Egypt. They've been freed from slavery. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is right at the very end, right before Moses died and right before Joshua takes over and he brings the people into the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, and God tells them this. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And so if I'm going to step out in love, I'm going to step out in humility, I'm going to step out in compassion, I'm going to step out in courage, I know that God is there with me and he's never going to leave me or forsake me. And so really all I'm doing at this point is I'm just being an ambassador. I'm just being an emissary. I'm just being one who's going out and just saying, I'm going to bring God into whatever this situation is that I'm in. Let's read Matthew 9, verse 36 to 38 one more time, and I'm going to give you one more thought and we'll close. Jesus said, or, or the, the Matthew says, when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the, into his harvest. Whose harvest is it? Is it mine? Is it yours? No, it's God's. It's God's harvest. It's people that he, need, he knows people that need love. He knows people that, that need grace. He knows people that need mercy. And God could have, the Holy Spirit is powerful enough. There's stories of this actually happened where people are like by themselves, like, and, and like they just cry out to God and they, they become Christians. Like this, this happens. Augustine, who's a famous uh, author of the early church, this happened to him. Like just happened. Like he, he was just crying out and, and God was there. God showed up and set him free. Paul on the road to Damascus. Like Paul, he's on the road to Damascus. Jesus visits him, right? But that's not how most of us get saved, right? That's not how most of us come to Christ. How many of you guys came to Christ because God visited you directly, Right? No, how most of us come to Christ is because there was someone in our life who showed us love, who showed us grace, who showed us compassion, who showed us Jesus, right? And so the mission of God, the mission of God, the mission of God to save people, to save humanity, to transform the world, to save the world through Jesus, the mission of God is there and God's gonna accomplish his mission. But the thing is, is that he invites you and I to be a part of it. And so we love. We love like Jesus loved us because we, we, we want to love others. We want to show them God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. We want to we step out. We want to step into the fray with humility and compassion and courage. We want to do this because there is a harvest. There's a couple of ways to respond to this idea of praying for, to the, the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. There's a couple of ways to, that we could respond. The first is this, is that we could ask God to send someone else. Anybody, anybody go like just God, anybody like my neighbor, my neighbor needs love. They're, they're cantankerous. They leave their dog out. They don't put the trash can out when they want to. They double park every time they go to the grocery store. Like they're hard to deal with. They're just hard to deal with people. God sends somebody to deal with them, sends somebody to love them. That's one idea. That's one way we could approach this passage. But the second way is for us to say, God, if you can use anything, use me. Send me. Let me be a part of what you're doing. Let me be a part of, of this. Let me, let me be led by the Spirit. Let me take my selfishness and put it aside for a minute. Let me be led by compassion. Let me be led by courage. Let me be led by love. Send me. Let me be a part of what you're doing.